Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. This is our practice edition where we take improvements we made throughout the week and tie them back to lean principles. I am Uriel Eisen. And I am Devin Bedoni. And you've got a quote. We learn from failure because they reveal boundaries in our system's capability and horizons in our minds. From Toyota Kata. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before we jump into that... Uh, we dropped a Patreon last uh, week. Mm-hmm. Thanks all for checking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, uh, if anyone wants to go join that, that would be much appreciated. We are kind of coming up with, uh, I don't know. Some schemes. Some schemes. <laughs> way, so. to, way to spend all of your money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. In, yeah. in a way that would hopefully be fun for everyone. <laughs> yeah, and like feedback into the community, hopefully. Yeah. So. Anyway, go check it out. The, n- the link will be in the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to the quote. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, pretty solid. Did you, and sorry, this is maybe <clears throat> airing your dirty laundry, but we were on the phone yesterday. And oh, my gem? <laughs> and you had some gems. <laughs> oh, I had a gem yesterday. <laughs> yeah. What, did you figure it out? Um, Do you want to tell us what it was? Yeah, so basically <laughs> I, I wrote it down to discuss... Um, the CNC mill, which has been running parts happily for months, decided to dump all of the parts out of the back of the machine, half machined, yesterday. Mm. Uh, we <coughs> caught it after one cycle, so that was 24 parts. Um, kind of frustrating to yeah. waste 24 parts, but not a huge deal. Like, our parts are pretty small. Yes, we learned from failure. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> but then going to the front of the machine, I was like, all right, why is this happening? And... Could not figure it out. Hmm. Um, I had a couple ideas, uh, and then I was sort of trying to troubleshoot it. And then at some point, I like looked at the fingers, and they were like pretty damaged. But I had looked at them earlier and didn't notice the damage. And I was like, "Did I damage them in troubleshooting, or were they damaged?" And I just failed to notice. But it was like enough damage that I think I would have noticed. But now, so I printed another set. But I have no ideas as to why. You don't know what the root cause was. Don't know what the root cause was. Interesting. Um, so that is on the list for today. Huh. It did start happening after we printed, after we switched out to new gripper fingers. So, but they look just like the old ones and like the tolerances aren't that tight. Mm-hmm. Like there's quite a bit of movement on them. So like if it's a little off one way or the other. Weird. Wait, so the... When it happened, those were fresh fingers that got damaged during that time, or it was old fingers? Fresh fingers went into the machine, then the machine dropped the parts, like didn't successfully complete the flip and back into the vise. Interesting. In watching it, it looked like, well, we saw a few failures. Uh Uh-huh. Um, one of them, it looked almost like the part was like sticking, like the gripper would open and then wrap it up out of like away from the vise, but the part would stick a little. So the part would sort of fly up a little bit Hmm. and then just like land somewhere, Uh (laughs) um, you know, sometimes on the vise, sometimes next to the vise. Um, I couldn't really figure out if there was anything sticky. Uh, I also noticed like a pretty massive burr, like we clean up the sides of the top hat on, on the, yeah on op one to be able to grab something consistent in the in the flip station um and there was like a huge burr uh which is new i think (laughs) anyway 
So yeah, some challenges and uh, definitely gonna have a look at it today and try to get to the bottom of it. Curious. Oh, <laughs> we also <laughs> um, switched the plastic that we're printing with from PLA to PETG. And I can't really think of a reason why that would cause this failure, Mm -hmm. but it could have, it could be. It's one of the the few things that changed. Yeah. So going to do some hard looking today. All right. What's, I know that PETG is stronger, right? PETG, I believe. Or is uh, it just less brittle? I think it's less brittle. I don't know what the like tensile strength or yield strength are like. Mm-hmm. I think your like stress strain curves are different. Like PLA, I think is a little more rigid, mm. but then will shatter. Yeah. Um, and then the the hope with PETG is that it just holds up better in the coolant, and that we don't get like yeah. What was that called? The environmental something cracking? Yeah, environmental stress cracking. Something like that, yeah. So I'm hoping it holds up to the coolant and doesn't start cracking. Um, I wonder if it was a little softer, if it was just deforming from, or just like wearing in a way that... It could be that. It was literally the first 24 parts. So That's weird. Yeah, so it could be that. I did revisit the idea, which I really like, I've been messing around with 3D printing more mm-hmm. and like trying to make it into something very useful rather than, or very, very useful <laughs> rather than just very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, um, anyway, my thought for the grippers, I think we've talked about this, is to put hardened dowel pins into the plastic so that your contact points are hardened. Because uh-huh. I think that would... Anyway, just result in a much more reliable kind of position. Yeah. Like your PSI, I think, is the big issue with those gripper fingers. You have like high PSI where they're contacting and like uh-huh. just friction and I don't know. Anyway, so I feel like that could result in like it's a 3D printed object where we insert pins and or, then. Or even like serrated gripper bits or something. Okay, I just had a weird idea. <laughs> what if you. 3d printed or even machined gripper jaws that were just riddled with holes and then you just threaded pins into them that stuck down different lengths for your various things yeah like there's a new product that i just saw on instagram i think it's someone in europe called gimbal maybe yeah 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 they're making a gripper with and that's kind of their finger concept is like a flat plate. Oh, true. That comes out to the side and then you screw pins into that at right. your different widths. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so th- that was sort of my thought there. But um, I have to say the 3D printed production tooling is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's huge for a few reasons I'm seeing. Uh, I went to this uh, auction last week. Yep. Very cool to see, uh, talk to one of the production engineers there um, who designed a bunch of the assembly tooling, oh. which was pretty cool. Um, what did they make? I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, something with electronics. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, it was, it was cool to see like how, how a, a quote unquote real company builds assembly fixtures and like. There's some pretty complex uh, assembly mm-hmm. par- um, 
yeah tools um with different like validation like a lot of sensing a lot of uh a lot more safety features yeah um which i have to say made me um (laughs) well i'm mostly using manual presses instead of pneumatic presses yeah and there's something really nice about them like if you're squishing your finger stop pulling on the lever right Right. (laughs) like i don't know obviously it's different if you like slip on something and anyway there's like yeah but um when you move to a production tool you have a lot of time and money invested in that thing whereas if it's a 3d printed tool Mm -hmm. you can cut it you can modify it like it just feels way more way easier to iterate yeah you just have like less invested in a particular thing this is really top of mind because we've been working a lot on our sewing um and again like you can get tools like you send a sample of something you want sewn yeah there's all there's shops around the u.s that basically take it make you a fixture that will hold those parts write you a program that sews on that fixture yeah send it all to you and it's like whatever between 500 and five thousand dollars depending on yeah how many stages of clamping and this and that um we're 3d printing all of that and i could imagine if we got a shop to do it for us we'd just keep using it and then it would start wearing or you'd get this issue and you're like okay well let's stick some tape on that it's fine it's good enough yeah anyway so and it also this kind of comes back to a concept from the toyota kata book of kind of like the development curve and what's appropriate for what aspects of the curve mm. and i think we often think like they were using it in terms of like manual line manual assembly line right. semi-automatic and automatic assembly lines they're automated um and like at the beginning of the development curve on a new product, you should probably do a manual assembly line because a lot of things are going to need to change. Similarly, as you're developing production tooling, 3D printing is probably the way to go. And then there's probably some point in that curve where you're going to say, okay, this isn't changing anymore. Right. And maybe it is cheap to 3D print, you know... uh, Just like once a week or once a month. Replacements, but it's still a disruption. And at that point, we're like, okay, maybe it's going to change once a year at this point. It's going to wear out once a year anyway on a machined version. We're going to switch to machining this for, you know, whatever reliability, whatever the case may be. And I think it's important to keep that mindset of like things on this curve and appropriate technology for appropriate aspects of the process. For sure. I've worked with a lot of small companies and I think people treat it as this big threshold of like there's the prototyping phase and then there's the production phase. Mm-hmm. And in the prototyping phase, there's a lot of emphasis on like what is our target cost of goods? What is our like, let's get a quote from these people and let's get a quote from those people. Oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's going to be too expensive. OK, can we drive the cost down? Can we do this and that? And that leads i think often to people launching in a way that's sort of not appropriate yeah like i think it's a good like it comes from a good place of like wanting to make sure your your product is viable but yeah like you need to know cart before the horse totally and i think a lot of it has to do with not giving enough credence to like what you'll learn in producing it so it's like yeah oh wow if we did this all automated our cost of goods would be super low and so you see and this happens all the time Mm -hmm. different companies Tesla comes to mind. They decided they'd build the Gigafactory, right? And right. Have a full automated. 
line and i think elon musk said something like i've undervalued humans or humans are actually pretty useful or something along yeah, those yeah. lines. and not to say that a fully automated line isn't still maybe the goal right but it's just to say that when you're starting to assemble i mean i cannot i have to say getting in cars after i've been making these buckles and having production challenges with a mm-hmm. four-part assembly with like pretty loose tolerances that doesn't go 80 miles an hour with five people in it <laughs> like it is so impressive that yeah. people make cars like so successfully and for the cost unbelievable so cheap yeah for what it's it is really mind-blowing to me yeah. um anyway uh <laughs> but like especially with something so complex i think leaving and leaving room for learning by not investing too much time or money mm-hmm is really useful i think yeah to your point like you do need to know that there's a viable path toward like having a real business around something (laughs) right like if it's if there's no way to get your margins right maybe you need to reevaluate but yeah and you see companies do that sometime as well and you're like oh go yeah i'll I'll make your parts for sure (laughs) i don't know I'm not not planning on making more of them (laughs) yeah yeah for sure um so some improvements, well, really, I mean, I just have like one improvement, um, which is the sewing. Yeah. Were you able to load the programs? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So last we talked, we were struggling with that. Okay. So <laughs> this is it, which is exactly what I thought it would be, something like this. Naming conventions? It had to be in a folder that was named something very particular. Uh-huh. And we had it in a folder named something else. Yeah from our <laughs> dealer who they were like, oh, put it in a folder that says this. They were wrong. Oh, <laughs> um, interesting. Anyway, so. How did you find that out? Uh, talk to Juki directly. Uh-huh. We are running into an issue with, so we bought the sewing machine from a local supplier who when we called them about the programming side of it, they were like, oh, it's a self-taught program. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, right, um, <laughs> I wish it was. Yeah. Uh, now we want to do some more advanced stuff and we have no one to turn to or teach us or and the software is from juki directly software is from juki and do you get any love from them or no we're going to try that next so i just called there's sort of two as far as i can tell there's two people in the u.s who do this very well (laughs) well and one of them is in new jersey and the other one is in california only two no there's others but a lot of the others are sort of more like bread and butter stuff like it's Uh sort of like make tons of production i'm sure there's more than two there's two main ones who are like really really deep in the weeds for writing programming and selling it and, with fixtures and, and like integrating three sewing machines onto one fixture that does like pretty wild stuff mm. or like the guy who built the machines that sew cl- those uh klein pouches i think we've uh-huh. talked about yeah like you know kind of there's probably a lot of people within uh yeah manufacturing companies who For do sure. this but you can't yeah. like who they're hard to find all day every day yeah. yeah actually now that you say that that might be a better approach because what i'm struggling with now is we made a mistake buying a machine from a company that doesn't because i called the guy in new jersey and he was like look like yeah if you buy a machine from me like i can help you with all this stuff but like this is my business <laughs> like yeah. i'm not just gonna i don't know right we'll see um so yeah getting access to the information of how to do some of this stuff like one of the things is the machine doesn't have any io on the board which Mm. is frustrating it's not surprising but it is frustrating and for like a 
sensor like what do you want to use io for uh i want to add pneumatics to the fixturing because mm-hmm. the thought is right now it's going to be manually loaded but the thought is that we could 3d print a bunch of fixtures that then get loaded into a chute and then the machine just grabs the next one pulls it in you know sews on it pushes Sorry. it out i'm jumping right to problem solving again but it's because it's fun yeah sure um, is. what if you just forget about the machine as being smart and like you literally add just a PLC. Have, add a plc and even just like have a pneumatic thing like push on the yeah on the foot pedal yeah so i think that's going to be the answer and honestly longer term i think it might make more sense anyway because then if you change to a new a new sewing machine mm-hmm. right your plc is the same you just have to figure out how to trigger a new machine yeah. um which if it's a foot pedal still it's <laughs> very easy yeah i mean that's actually hilarious now that you say that because i was thinking like how do you change programs like mm-hmm. how do you tell it to run a different program off of a plc oh but it does have five pre-programmable buttons so i could put five <laughs> actuators to just hit their butt hit the buttons they're digital buttons of course so it's tempting to like solder yeah. in a port that we could just turn high but right which might be the way, but it might be the not simple way, not the not the quick way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thought. I hadn't thought of <laughs> the actuate. I was I was looking through the wiring diagram to figure out like where we could tie in with the PLC. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I'm sure it's doable because a lot of these machines are on automated lines. Yeah, but it it might be one of those things. I feel like you run into this every now and then an industry where it is so focused on like big manufacturers where a new production line might have a budget of like whatever a hundred thousand dollars in consultants to get the whole thing running that Mm -hmm. it's like for you they they, they're not trying to make it easy they're not trying to make it flexible they're just like we build this thing and people seem to integrate it just fine so we're not going to change um yeah i feel like brother well, brother sewing machines, hundred percent like that. Brother CNCs, I feel like there's a bit of that vibe. Mm-hmm. It's like we build a tool, and we don't have that much documentation because anyone who's like the people we're really building it for, we spend whatever six months with them <laughs> working on their right. particular application. Although their documentation is pretty dang good on a lot of it. I've been yeah. frustrated with the P- with the la- the PLC ladder uh, documentation. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Maybe it's out there. Someone Maybe. send it to me. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's basically all I've got. Um. I mean, I'm trying to think. We had a few other improvements, but I'm not remembering what they were. Yeah, I was gone pretty much the whole time since this last since last episode recording. Yeah. Um. So I didn't personally do much of anything. Um. But it has been kind of cool, just kind of touching back on the conversation last week about starting to I you know I feel like I want to believe that this will be sort of like getting a big rock rolling and then once it's moving it's going to move well yeah in terms of getting everybody kind of in the mindset Uh uh-huh um and it there hasn't been like big dramatic shifts but it has been cool a, a few times like yesterday uh, both both people who work with me came up and you know had were kind of like hey I was thinking about this or maybe oh, cool. you know maybe this is a place that would be a room for improvement that I'm seeing a problem mm-hmm. um, and that was pretty cool that's very cool yeah, yeah. actually 
this might take me a second to find, but cool. I will, uh, um, we had someone write in. This is something I wanted to kind of touch on, mm. um, or sent me a message or something. Basically saying, you know, uh, they're enjoying the podcast. Thanks for putting it out. That it was great listening to people uh, struggling through this stuff. And it sort of reminded me, like, I want to say it again. I feel like we said it early on, but I feel like it bears repeating. Like, we're not experts. And I think why we started this podcast (laughs) was very much because it feels like there's a lack of content out there of people, like, struggling to implement these ideas rather than just, like, documenting their wins. Mm -hmm. And not documenting their wins. Like, I'm not trying to talk down to, like, all the shop tours are, are awesome, but a lot of the time people invite people put out a shop tour once they're like very proud of their shop. And it's like, some of them are just so mind blowing in their efficiency and their cleanliness in their systems that it feels kind of daunting rather than, well, it's daunting and inspiring, but maybe sometimes more daunting. Like you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like that is so not what I'm where I'm at that it's hard to get there. There's this idea of like proximal learning where like mm-hmm. the best teacher for you is someone who's like just slightly ahead of you rather right. than just like 10 years ahead of yeah. you because they're like oh yeah i remember struggling with that exact thing yeah we had I, this when we were running a startup we had a board of advisors and <laughs> some of the advisors were like very impressive resume industry people mm-hmm. and they'd give us this advice and we're like what are we supposed to do with that <laughs> like yeah they were, you know, because a lot of it's like we're in the trenches and a lot of it's sort of like, hey, we're going to be raising this round. Any idea, any like advice? And it's like, oh, yeah, we did this. And here's a big thing we ran into. So you really want to watch out for this and like make sure you get these things yeah. done now. And you're like, OK, great. Noted. Thank you. Yeah. And so anyway, so thanks for the reminder um, to kind of, yeah, stick with that goal of like sharing the the process of like wrestling with these ideas trying to implement them they often conflict with each other and uh yeah anyway hopefully it's enjoyable to listen to yeah one uh one little part that's directly applicable to improvement stuff out of toyota kata was the discussion about the action item list approach and how it is faulty i don't know if you recall that part Remind me. Action uh, item list. Well, basically, the author is saying, like, if you go into any lean organization, you often see this, like, list of things that we need to work on mm-hmm. and how this is a bad approach. <laughs> yeah. And I think we probably both have found ourselves in this, you know, paradigm. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of the prognosis was, like, it's done because it's simple and it's, you know, again, easy metrics. Like, you can cross stuff off the list. Right. Um, but again, that we need to like, instead of being results oriented, we need to be process oriented. Yeah. And, uh, that the more, the more effective, you know, when they got to the more effective approach, it was a little bit vague to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the more effective thing is to, instead of just creating a list of things that you see as problems or a list of things that you think should be improved or yeah. like how you want to improve it or whatever and crossing those things off to instead sort of have like um a series of experiments around an issue 
Right. And this gets back to like, as I recall, the target condition, it's sort of like, okay, we think this line should be doing things more this way. What stands between us and that goal? Yeah. And then uh, one of the questions I liked a lot is like, when will we have results to be able to look at, to know if we're closer or further away? Yeah. And one of the, one of the points driven home here is that they, at least at Toyota, strive to change only one variable at a time. Um, womp womp. And when you sort of like think through what this means, like the implications of this is that they're doing lots of very, very small changes and then checking results. Yeah. Um, versus trying to just like, you know, bust, oh, we have a bust through a list. Bust um, through a list or I think there's also a temptation of like, oh, we should automate this line. Okay, let's buy a robot and totally redo how we're making this line instead mm-hmm. of like, what if we change this one tiny factor? What does that do to our reliability or what does that do to our... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of an... I think it's like very, very tempting to just start throwing stuff on a list and... I mean, that's uh, what we've been doing. And I, I struggle with this sort of like... Uh, I hate to write off what we've done mm-hmm. as like not the way to do it because it got us here. It's which has been is, effective. Yeah. It's been effective in getting us involved in the process. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if you wait to be perfect and fully understand this stuff, For sure. it's yeah. not going to work. And so... I, it, it, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And like some of those easy wins, I feel like maybe are a good place to start. I think they are. I think um, the whole point of this book, right, is like what differentiates what differentiates Toyota from a lot of other companies trying to do this. Like right. there's a, all these companies that get 90% of the way there or whatever, but they're not seeing the same results. So yeah. what is the distinction? Yeah. And that's kind of what this book's drilling into, right? And Right. That was the intro, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so there are many, many companies using this action item list method, right? Getting a lot done, yeah. But why are they not getting as much done as Toyota? That's the premise, and so it's kind of like, what are next steps? It's not that what, yeah, that that's bad. It's that it maybe it's not flawed. as good, yeah, yeah. No, and and I would say it's also while why we've been having these conversations for. Uh, two years plus is like if it was just pretty simple yeah. and you figured it out it'd be like all right we figured it out yeah but yeah it is sort of an ongoing i feel like every time i'm like okay i figured this out there's like oh interesting now <laughs> there's a quote like beyond mountains there's some there are mountains it's like some mm. uh, haitian proverb or something interesting i'm gonna look at it there's up. a book there's a with that title ah. um by a public health doctor but essentially, it's like you look at one mountain, but then if you climb over, you're going to see more mountains. Yeah. Beyond uh, mountains, there are mountains. Yeah. As you solve one problem, another will present itself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I remember problem. visiting, um, what's it called? Like Sand Dune National Park. Uh-huh. And there's just this enormous sand dune. Yeah. And we are like, well, that's pretty crazy. Let's climb to the top of it. And then we climbed to the top of it. And there's the same size sand dunes as far as the eye can see. And you're like, oh my God. Wow. We thought it was just like one big yeah. cone kind of thing with like some local smaller bumps on it. Uh-huh. Anyway, so that's how it feels. Beyond mountains, there are mountains. Um, yeah. 
you like spend all this time climbing up one mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I get it. It's going to be smaller batch sizes. We're going to be single piece flow. We're going to have no inventory. Here it's we go. going to be awesome. <laughs> and then it's like, oh wow. Production leveling is a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, theory of constraints is a thing. So maybe actually improve increasing inventories so that I can focus <laughs> on other, I don't know. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Might be a good place. Finish up for today. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it very much. Um, yeah. Again, we launched a Patreon because that's what the cool kids do. Exactly. So go check, check it out. out. Um, you can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore MFG and on the internet at lichenprecision.com. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram and austeremfg.com on the internets. And the podcast at Incremental CI. Um, love seeing people's improvements. And we try to uh, repost everything. Sometimes I, I, I've been falling down on the job a few times, so apologies <laughs> for that. But uh, yeah, definitely fun to share and see how everyone's uh, kind of moving things forward in their shop so we can all share ideas and get better together. Till next time. See you next week.